Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and this is the 15th time I'm trying to do this intro, so we'll see if this one goes correctly. On this particular episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, I'm sitting down with Julie Broad, and Julie is an absolute force in many ways. She quit her job, she got into real estate investing, started a blog that became wildly popular here in Canada. Together with her husband, they did tons of real estate investing, consulting, and coaching, buying their own properties. They ultimately decided to live life on their terms and change direction entirely. They moved to Los Angeles. Dave jumped into the acting world. Julie started a a brand new business that helps people launch books, people who have ideas and thoughts and want to become authors. Her business is all about that. And there's absolutely great value in doing that, which we discuss on this episode of the podcast. So we love chatting with people who are living life on their terms. And Julie is one of those people. So you're going to enjoy this episode. And if you are listening to this and you want to get into real estate investing yourself and you don't know where to start, you can get a copy of one of our books. We give away multiple copies of our books available on our website, Rock rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. The most popular one that I think, and I guess we should count at some point, has been downloaded over 100,000 times is the book Income for Life for Canadians. And you can get a free digital copy of that book at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. That's enough with this intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, we are live with Julie Broad. And before we get into the wonderful, wonderful world of book publishing and the importance of it and the value of it and why we think it's one of the best things a business owner, an individual, anyone should and could have will dive into that stuff. But I want to pick Julie's brain here for a, sec a second because you have a, a very interesting story. We crossed paths because somebody, well, I don't know actually how we crossed paths um, to tell you the truth, but, but I know the first time I heard of you, someone saw a URL of ours on a newspaper. I don't know what newspaper. I can't remember, Financial Post, National Post, I think. And it was like somebody was picking up on all the real estate blogs that were like of any sort of value or something. And ours was listed on there and someone showed it to us and we're like, oh my God, like this is amazing. You know, like it's like our <laughs> URL in the National Post or wherever it was, like it was a legitimate newspaper. Mm -hmm. um, and we thought, oh, this is like, this is really interesting. And then we're like, oh, who are these other people in here? Because there was like six other websites. And one of them was you guys, Revenue. And it was like, who are these people? Let's check them out. <laughs> and I think that's the first time we crossed paths with you was that, or I had heard of you. And then obviously, you know, a couple of years later or whenever we, we, we got to know you better. So I, I'm just curious, you have an interesting path. You left the corporate world um, you were involved in real estate, but then you went, left the corporate world and you were doing revenue and you can explain what that is in a, in a second, but full time, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Full time. Yeah. And then you were buying properties, helping other people and coaching other people. And you did that for quite some time. You even moved out West doing that, but then you left that and you moved to the States and started a completely different business. And then COVID hits and I think you're in Canada right now um, yeah. and you, you know, you're in Canada and you, so now you can reflect on this phase of your life. So I'm just curious at each of these stages, 
what, 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 what was a lesson? So let's start with this. Mm-hmm. When you started revenue, if you, you know, what did you learn if you, or if you look on back on that era of your life, first explain what revenue was. And if you look mm-hmm. on back on that era of your life, what did you learn about yourself? What did you learn about life? Did you, what, what, what did you learn? What did you take away? What was the most valuable thing you took away from that part of your life? But explain what revenue was first. Or yeah, is. So, yeah. Well, I mean, it is still, it exists now, no longer yes. with yeah. us, but um, it does, it does still exist. And it's revenue, R-E-V-N-Y-O-U. Um, before we really understood the internet, we thought we were clever, uh, you know, a play on words. You put the rev in you and it's also about making revenue with real estate. Um, so yeah, but it does still exist. You can still see that. There's some great people that now build content around revenue and, and do real estate coaching. Um, but that's really what it was. It was a, it was really content to help other real estate investors. It was sharing in the beginning, there was no business model around it. It was me writing a newsletter to share some of our really um, graphic lessons that we had learned in our early real estate investing days, owning a, a property that became a crack house and having a property manager that got charged with manslaughter, all of those kind of great stories we put into those newsletters. And it just over a couple of years of writing the newsletters, it evolved and there was an opportunity to build it into a business. And so that's what revenue became was a training and education and coaching company all around real estate. And, uh, and yeah, like I said, it lives on the YouTube channel and the, and the website live on, which is really cool. And and when did you get the idea that you could write an email and publish stories like this and that you might leave your job and do this full time? Like, was that the plan or did you just realize, oh, if you produce content there, there can be a business around producing good content. Yeah, so it's interesting because in the at the time I was a salesperson for a real estate uh, information company, and I was selling, and I kept telling we had all this amazing data on Toronto real estate condos and new homes and commercial real estate, and I kept telling the president of the company, look, like this content would make great information to put out there, so people would call us instead of me getting this list of all of the commercial brokers in town and cold calling them, which was my job, and and I really wanted to I wanted to make my job easier. Like ultimately that's what it was. And I've been reading stuff by Michael Masterson, who is the founder of early to rise, which was a newsletter that health and success and wealth and real estate. And, and they were having a conference down in, in uh, Florida. And so I said, okay, I'm going to go down there and learn what this is all about. And I paid for it. I paid for my trip down there thinking this is going to make my job easier. And, and then as I was sitting there, I'm going, well, this, I could do this. I can, I can write a newsletter. I can make money from a newsletter. And, and that's really where it started was me wanting to make my job easier at the company I worked for. And then because the company was completely rejecting all of these really cool ideas. I'll never, just as a side note, this was 2006. And I remember telling my boss, um, you know what? You really should start a blog. Like let's start a blog for the company. And he just looked at me and he goes, when you say that, I feel like I'm the blog. <laughs> Oh my God. Anyway, so uh, I I was, I was running into a wall. And so it really became obvious by 2008, really great timing, by the way, but I I just couldn't work there anymore. Uh, And, and really that's kind of the lesson that I learned for myself was that you can't, you, you can, you have to do the things that you can control. Like if you're working for somebody else, you can't control a lot of things. You can't control the outcome. And it's great. If you're happy doing that, that's wonderful. But if you're not happy, then it's up to you to make the change. And, and it always comes back to that. It's your choice. Uh, whatever situation you're in, you can choose how you look at it and you can choose to do something about it or choose not to. And really that's, 
for me, going back to that and that decision I made that day, it really told me that I am the one that's in control. No matter what happens around me. So 2008, that sucks. Not a great time to quit a, a really good paying job and go full time into real estate trading and education and real estate investing. But I had control over what I did every day. And I had control over a lot of things that I did uh, that would lead to the results eventually down the road. And so that was really when it became clear that I'm in control. doesn't matter what's happening around me. I can control a lot of things. Huh, that's awesome. And, and that's an interesting character trait because you went and paid for that trip by yourself to go to Florida and learn that stuff. Like I find that people who are going to carve out their own path and, and have the journey that they really want to have in this life, they take the reins and they take control. And I don't know if you took vacation days, you probably took vacation days did, or sick yeah. day, you know, whatever it was to take you to take this time off. Um, I guess you should, I shouldn't say that you maybe took sick days, although what the heck? I didn't. You took the sick day. Yeah. No, I but didn't. it was vacation I actually, day. <laughs> I actually negotiated with my boss to make it half vacation time and half just like pay me while I'm there because I'm doing this for the company. Um, and so I actually ended up getting the whole time. I started off saying it was going to be vacation, but he did actually give me the time. Um, and so I got paid for the time I was there, but I did everything else on my own dollar. And ultimately he rejected all my ideas anyways. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, but you went, but, but it just tells me so much about people. When I hear a story like that from you, that you saw this thing in Florida, you thought there was value there. You were investing in yourself. Like I never look at that mm -hmm. stuff as an expense. You were investing in yourself. Then you're there. You have a realization that, Oh, this is a lot of good information. I can do this stuff myself. It changes your entire context, which then changes your entire life. You know, and, and I, I'll never forget, I took a trip out to British uh, Vancouver and there was a guy by the name of Harv Ecker. I don't know if Harv Ecker is still around or whatever, but he was not owned in Ontario at all. But mm -hmm. um, I knew he was doing stuff out there. I had heard him on some, I think it was a teleconference, like not a webinar, like a teleconference yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, I landed out there for some work with Oracle. And I know I had to take a taxi to from the airport to downtown Vancouver, but there was an industrial area on the other side of the water somewhere. I don't know where, where it was. And I'm like, oh, if I can just ask this taxi to go by this place first, Oracle will pay for my taxi ride. This was like, and I was like having this guilt trip over it. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm totally like extending this taxi trip. If anyone checks the taxi bill, like looking back, I should have just freaking paid for this taxi myself because I was just freaked out on like this taxi ride. Anyway, I, I this is how I was using my Oracle expense to like get myself some information. And it took me to this middle of this industrial park. And I guess they, they're not used to seeing customers. This is where all their staff was to hold like the stage equipment and like all the stuff oh, where they do. Okay. And I just literally opened the front door. I walk in and, you, and I immediately knew they're not used to walk people walking in because everyone just kind of stopped and looked at me and I'm like oh I'm here to learn more about Harv Ecker <laughs> you know? and, and, and they all looked and there there was like no books to buy or like it wasn't a retail outlet or anything and they're like well we have some books like do you want some books I'm like oh yeah and I'm like what do you guys do here and I started looking around <laughs> And, uh, and I just remember leaving that and I went back to my hotel room and I read this little book I think it was called Speed Wealth by Harv Ecker okay. and uh and I just remember thinking, this is crazy. Why don't I have any other friends that I can talk about this stuff with? Like, why is nobody else doing this stuff? Like, I felt like so alone and lonely during those moments. And it really wasn't a bad lonely, but I did feel alone. Like, I felt like no one else is understanding what I'm talking about or looking into or researching because I was trying to find my own path. And, and Harvecker at the time was talking about, I think, the millionaire mind and like mm -hmm. how you could do anything you wanted. So uh, just hearing you do this stuff kind of reminds me of, of some of my own little journey. I'm not even sure why I'm sharing that, Julie. I'm way off track, but that's uh that's really cool. It's a good you story though. Okay. I love that. <laughs> it was, it was, yeah, it was a ridiculous story. Yeah. It was a ridiculous story, but uh, um, 
but that's what you learned. You could control your own future from, yeah, from mean, revenue. You, you can control your and, decisions and, then, and those decisions control your future. So, okay. So, and then w- what made you go to move to the U S and start book launchers? Was that <laughs> something that you needed a new chapter? You were bored with real estate. You saw an opportunity that you thought, you know, you could really do something with what was, yeah. what was going on there? Yeah, I mean, it's, we ta- it's, we've talked it's, about this before. So I know Dave's involved in some of this kind of stuff, but I'm interested from your perspective. Yeah. What, what were you thinking? I mean, so it's a long windy journey that I actually think I am, I have done everything I've done to date so that I can run book launchers. It's, it's like, I finally feel like everything has kind of come into play. And so part of it is that when I was little, I always thought I'd be a writer and I was published in newspapers by the time I was, I think eight was when I started getting published and I got stories published repeatedly until I was like 12 years old and I won essay contests, but then somewhere somebody told me writers don't make money. So I went to business school cause I like money. <laughs> I love writing, but I like money. Yeah. You need some of it too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So I went to business school and then I did my MBA in real estate and finance as well. So I kind of took a detour, um, but real estate's also what brought me back to writing. And so, I mean, you know that uh, I ended up publishing my first book, More Than Cashflow, a real estate book, which, you know, I took all these great stories that I would never have had if we hadn't have taken all this real estate and done all those real estate deals. So uh, more than cash flow wouldn't exist if it weren't for the real estate that we did. And the opportunities that I had initially, you know, I thought I was getting a book deal from Wiley and Wiley, uh, I told Wiley about the idea I had and they said, no, you know, that's a general real estate book. We don't need that. But then they gave me an idea. And so for three months, we went back and forth on this, this book deal. And, you know, they'd given me the idea and I think they'd even approached me through kind of our network. Um, So I hadn't even sought them out. So I thought for sure I was getting a book deal, uh, but then they emailed me and said, you know, the marketing department doesn't think you have a strong enough platform to sell books. And I remember at the time, uh, you might not even know this part, but uh, when I was when I was crying because they had rejected me, Dave was like, "Why don't you self-publish? That's what Nick and Tom do." <laughs> I'll never forget it. They're and not I, like I, they're not like real. Like, <laughs> listen, Julie, if those two can put out a book, trust me, you can exactly- put out. A- that's exactly what he was saying. <laughs> but he kind of like opened the door and I was like, you know, in my head at the time, I thought I had to be chosen. I had, you know, I kind of thought why if I didn't have a book deal, it wasn't legit. Um, but he opened that door and, you know, I took, you know, I kind of took a look around. I was like, okay, well, there's a lot of people self-publishing now. And I dove deep into self-publishing and I did it with this thought you know, it was actually the rejection was the greatest thing that could have ever happened to me because I didn't just self-publish a book. As you know, I went into it like I'm going to do this better than if Wiley did it. And I put hundreds of hours, not only into the writing, but into figuring out how to self-publish and do it really, really well. Uh, and so that whole experience opened my eyes to the fact that I was better off not having got that book deal. I made way more money. I had full control over that content because frankly, the book they wanted me to write, I would probably be embarrassed that I'd written it now. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> um, it, it was, uh, I, I don't even know if I should say it, but they wanted me to write a book on real estate investing for couples. Oh, so, wow. Got it. Uh, and at the time I kind of was like, well, I mean, we're a couple investing, but I didn't really feel like the legit expert in how to do it as a couple. Uh, So that was the topic. And so I'm way more proud of the book today. Even now I still get emails from people saying- It's a solid, but you've crammed so much into that book. Like you can tell reading that book that you have tons of experience. Thank you. It just comes out, yeah. 
And I'm still happy. You know, when people come up to me and they say, I recommend your book to this day, I, I feel great because I'm like, you know what? I stand by everything I put in that book. Maybe I'd update some of it now, but I still stand by everything. So so it's great. So that opened my eyes to the fact that self-publishing was actually really great. I got all my rights. I got all my royalties. You know, I watched some of my friends that got book deals end up having their book republished under somebody else's name or in another case, uh, you know, <laughs> the HGTV TV deal that almost happened that, <laughs> you know, but Wiley wouldn't negotiate with that, with that deal. So that author had to buy all the, all his books back and buy his rights back to the book. So I was better off. And, and through time, having had the success I did with more than cash flow, people contacted me and kind of wanted to learn more. And the book stuff was way more fun than the real estate stuff. Real estate's great. I love it for that backup plan, that solid investment that's going to be there that gives you options in life. Um, but I get excited about books. I get excited about authors. So, so that's the one piece. I know it's kind of a long answer to the question, but that's the one piece, but that's what's going on for me. And in the meantime, Dave has gotten into acting and he's starting to pull away from our real estate. And we've done enough, like you kind of get to a point, like how do you need to keep doing deals? How many deals do you need to do <laughs> at a certain point? So he was getting into acting and I was looking at this going, I kind of want to start something new. If Dave's not going to be involved in the real estate, I don't want to be the numbers person. I'm the marketer, I'm the communicator. Uh, and it, real estate doesn't work if you don't have both. And I didn't want to replace him with someone else. I didn't love it enough to keep doing it. So it was kind of that pivotal thing. And as we looked at it, it seemed to make more sense for him to pursue an acting career in Los Angeles versus in Canada. Um, and it just all kind of came together. And I said, okay, well, I looked at buying companies down there to get a visa to move to the States, but I didn't really want to buy somebody else's problem. I really wanted to create a business that I loved. And it, to me, when I thought about creating a business, there was no other business. It, it had to be something that helped people write and self-publish a book. And so you said a couple, like a lot of important stuff in there. Um, a lot of people I feel like are waiting to be chosen. You know, in life, I feel like a lot of us are waiting to be told, Julie, yes, you are the person to be able to go do this. And you came to that realization that you didn't need to be chosen. You could do it yourself. And I think that's a huge realization for so many people, because I think Nick and I, when we were starting out in real estate, we thought, who are we to be able to tell people what to do with real estate? Like, who are we to be able to do that? And, you know, you almost want to be appointed by somebody like, mm -hmm. yes, Julie, you are the person and you, you're, you know, and I think that's why a lot of people go out and take different, um, you know, get different designations at university that maybe they don't really need, or, or they take different things and just to have more letters behind their name. And, mm -hmm. and I feel like you kind of learned that lesson by getting rejected by that book company and realizing that I don't need to be chosen by this book company. I don't need to be appointed by them. My life experience is enough for me to share my own thoughts and beliefs on this subject. And there's a ton of value in that. And now look how many people that you've, you've, you've helped. Like your book was number one. I mean, uh, you know, just think of if you didn't proceed, like imagine you got rejected and didn't share that information. So like, I think that's a big realization. And, and, and if anyone's listening to this, if you're waiting to be appointed, let Julie and I appoint you right now. <laughs> let us appoint <laughs> you. You are the expert in the field. And, and, and something I, I, I tell a lot of people is that, listen, if you think on a scale of one to 10, what level of expert are you in your subject? And if you think you're a three, and then you think, oh, because I'm a three, I'm not going to proceed. I always tell people, well, there's people who are a zero, one, and a two out of 10. So if you're a three, you're an expert to them. 
And not only are you expert, if someone else is a nine out of 10 in your eyes, maybe the way they speak and communicate is no longer resonating with somebody who's a two. It's just well past them. So your level of communication and the, what you're sharing is extremely important to those people. So, you know, that's just a big deal to me that you, you realize that. And then you said something interesting about real estate, like how many deals do you have to do? I think and when Nick and I got confused when we first got into the real estate community, because we were doing a lot of investing by ourselves with blinders on, even when we started Rockstar, it was very, we were very kind of close. We we're just doing, doing our thing. And a lot of people from the real estate investing world would come and approach us and they would be like, well, how many doors do you own? How many doors, oh, that question. How many doors <laughs> yes. do you own? And I remember thinking uh, the whole time, and, be, and because our family, um, you know, came close to going bankrupt in 1990, we always looked at real estate as it's not how many doors you own. Like we've been there, kind of done, done that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. flipping properties. It's how stable are you? How much can you survive? So we always thought, well, I don't think it's how many doors. It's, it's, it's how, you know, how much equity do you have? How much cash flow do you have? Can you survive the downturn? So like if somebody has 20 doors and someone else has two, but those two are fully paid off, is the person who has 20 that's highly leveraged better? And I felt like in the real estate community at that time, when we were starting, that's how people were being ju judged. Like, oh, if you don't have hundred doors, you're not, you're, you're not doing it right. And I remember just thinking, and I think we thought maybe we don't understand for a while. I'm like, maybe we don't get it. Cause to us, it's not about the doors. It's like, what are you building? What's the foundation? How much, you know, mm -hmm. how, what can you survive? And Pierre Paul Turgeon was just commenting on this. Cause I, I mentioned to him the same thing yesterday. We just did a podcast with him and uh, he brought up your name. And he was saying that we were introduced together because of you. And I forgot that. Oh, He's that's like, yeah, great. Yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I didn't even know that you, Julie's the connection. So he was, yeah, he was, he was shouting out your name and thanks for that. But he was saying the same thing that he had heard the same thing. And you know, you're saying you came to it as a realization, like how many deals do you have to keep doing? And I'm not saying you were saying what I just said, but you had a realization, like, you know, you do what you want to do. That's appropriate for you. And then you move on and you kind of exactly. had that moment. Right. So now that you're in Canada and, you know, this whole COVID thing's going on, if you reflect what you've, you've learned starting book launchers, um, what, what have you learned through that, you know, experience moving to the U S starting a company? What, what, what do you take away from that experience so far? Now that's an ongoing experience, but what, what do you, what, what are you learning from that so far? I, there's, I mean, there's lots of different things I could share. One of them is that it's kind of like, and a, I, I work with a, a business coach named Alex Sharfin, and he described it as how he kind of coaches people, but I kind of feel like this is how I live my life. And so, most people look for a linear growth path like that, right? You know, I do this, it gets me this, I do this, it gets me this. And I've always kind of done it in a different way where I kind of go, okay, what are, what are the pieces I kind of need to do that most people don't do? And so you end up kind of almost going backwards and going down before you grow. But then when you grow, you kind of rocket ship up. <laughs> And, that's and a that's good way to say of, it. That's totally a good way to say it for sure. For sure. That's and that's really, what it feels like. Yeah. That's what it feels like. And that's what it feels like moving to the U S has been. Uh, it really, I mean, it was an enormous pain in the butt. It was awful. I don't recommend the visa process on anybody. We had no home for a while. We had all our stuff was in a truck waiting to cross the border while our visa got rejected. And we had to, you know, the story is really, and I had a newborn baby. <laughs> By the time we got our stuff off the truck, he didn't fit all of the clothes that were on the truck. Like, it's just, it's one of those things where it was really, really hard. Um, and we did it really for Dave, but ultimately I think I'm the one that dramatically benefited because of, I think all of the hard stuff that I put into the work to get the visa. Uh, you know, I spent a year developing the concept around book launchers and really thinking through everything I was going to do. 
so that I was making nothing while I did all this. I was spending money, in fact, to get the visa and to go through this. But, you know, after a year of kind of building the company, once I was in the U.S., I mean, we're growing so fast. We can't hire. We can't hire fast enough. Um, it is, we're, it's phenomenal. We're working with the most amazing people. You know, we've got former senators, people who have been parts of major, major technical change. They're all writing books with us. It is so cool. But you have to go backwards and be willing to put in the work that nobody sees that doesn't feel like it's actually benefiting in order to get yourself there. And, and I realized this really going to the US because everything kind of went, we went backwards on everything to do that. We're starting over completely, but it's putting that foundation in so you can grow and you can really accelerate and get to do the stuff that a lot of people don't ever get to do because they're always looking at, if I do this, I want, it'll get me X. And if, you know, then it'll get me Y. And they always just look for that linear path. So um, that's one thing that's really become apparent with this, with this whole thing. Um, I'll pause there in case you want to talk about that. No, Cause I got yeah. another, another lesson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no. It's so insightful. I, I think that, yeah, it, you're just making me reflect on our own journey. And I think some people meet us and they're like, Oh, we thought you guys would be like drive Ferraris and like, you know, hang out on the beach all day or something. Meanwhile, we're, you know, in the office working. If the dishwasher needs emptying, Nick and I are emptying the dishwasher. If, 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 if something's going on, you know, we need to empty the garbage. If, if something in the COVID stuff, our whole schedule is messed up and like we're emptying garbages and stuff. And, and I don't even think twice about that until someone else says, oh, like you're emptying the garbage. You know, I'm like, well, yeah, like that's the stuff that needs to be done. Like, you know, you need to do exactly. it. Like, mm -hmm. so that you, and, I, and I just think that some people have this thought that that's like being a failure or something. No, or maybe not a failure, but like you shouldn't be doing that. And I'm like, well, no, the, welcome to owning your own business. You know, this is what it takes. If the yeah. cleaners aren't coming in because there's some COVID stuff going on and the garbage needs to get it go out, guess who's taking the garbage out? <laughs> <laughs> so like, it's just my little story to kind of share. Yeah, you have to do these things that nobody sees and it's part of, it's part of it all. Um, but yeah, it's cool to hear from you. So what's the second thing? What's the second thing? I mean, and this doesn't apply to everyone. I realize this, but I am so grateful that I built a business that can operate from anywhere. Uh, you know, and, and I always thought that it's actually, it's not just a COVID lesson, but I, I, you COVID really made this apparent to me, but watching my parents, they ran uh, and operated a 20 room motel. We lived attached to the motel. My dad used to answer the door at 2am, you know, he'd put his house coat on. No way. That's how yeah, you grew to, up. Oh, I don't think I knew that. Yeah. So he, he, you know, if the doorbell rang, somebody was renting a room. And so he put on his house coat and he'd go down and he actually took a baseball bat with him just in case, because 2 a.m. Sometimes people had too much to drink and were looking for trouble, not necessarily a room. So I mean, that was, that's what I, <laughs> so that I grew up with this and I saw my parents, we took, I think, three vacations my entire childhood, because if they left, they were not only leaving home, they were leaving their business. And so somebody they trust had to be there to take care of the business. So they were really attached to a physical location. And then they sold that and they went moved to BC and they started a bed and breakfast, which is just a, a even more labor intensive <laughs> version of a motel, because now they're cooking people breakfast and cleaning their rooms and then renting out the rooms and marketing the business and doing everything they had really, really great jobs for themselves. 
but they didn't have, as far as I was concerned, businesses. And they were also really locationally attached. They couldn't travel, they couldn't do things. So I knew with whatever businesses I wanted to run, it always had to have freedom of location uh, for the reason that I don't seem to sit still. I do move all over the place, having lived in Toronto and Vancouver and Calgary and Victoria and <laughs> Nanaimo and Los Angeles. So, uh, so those were kind of things. And with COVID, it really makes you stop and think about whatever kind of business you own, you have to be able to reach people wherever they are and not have to, ideally not have to have people coming to a physical location. Um, because, you know, even fitness instructors have had to reinvent how they operate, but it's created a tremendous opportunity because now they don't have to just serve people in their market. They can serve people everywhere. So there's a lot of that. And, and it's kind of thinking about your business in a different way. And I think that that lesson has been, I think it's a really cool opportunity for a lot of people to kind of rethink how they do their business. And, and again, it's been one that I'm just constantly grateful for. Like, how can we get even more virtual? <laughs> Yeah, good for you guys. No, that's great to hear. Okay, okay. so what is the state of the, you know, we can talk about why everybody needs to have a book because I think it, it is a really big deal. I was just speaking to someone the other day. She's a paralegal here in the Toronto area. And I was just explaining, I was talking about you. I'm like, you know, you should have your own book because it just puts you, it gives you this authority status almost immediately. And we can all debate if it's right or wrong that you get that, but somehow you still get that from having this book. Um you know, and, and Mike on our own team put a book together. He wrote it all himself. And he, he now realizes how hard it is to write a, a, a book because he did it himself. Like, you know, he did it himself. And I know you yeah. offer different services to really streamline that. So I was explaining it to her. Um, but the amount of people reaching out to him after he put out that book, you know, just the people he, hadn't, that he hasn't heard of mm -hmm. get his book and people are passing around the book like old school. Like yeah. handing out the book saying, Hey, read this book. And the new business that he's getting out of it is incredible. So I'm just curious, what's the state of the book publishing world? Like what is going on? It, it, you know, for someone who doesn't, I don't think most people know about Amazon stuff, your services, but can we just talk about the state of the industry right now? Like how, how, how easy or difficult is it to get your book out? And, and, yeah. and we don't have to talk about we, your services just yet. I want to layer that on, but just in general. How, how is the industry right now? Yeah, for sure. Um, just for edit, or can you hear the, there's a vacuum going on upstairs? Can you no, hear I can't. It? No, yeah, I can't hear okay. it. Okay. No, I no, just was going to tell them to stop. I heard some geese though. I heard some geese earlier. Is that you? <laughs> yeah, I am on a lake. So probably. Yeah, okay. yeah, I heard some geese. That was cool. I'm like, oh, this is really cool. <laughs> okay. I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> no, no, you're good. You're good. There's okay. no vacuum. There's no vacuum noise. We're good. We're okay. good. Good. Um, so yeah, so the state of book publishing, actually COVID has been another gift to that because people are at home and media consumption is up and a lot of book categories are up, way up. And you know what I think is going to happen in the next year or two? People are going to need even more solutions. So not only are they going to be looking for that escape with fiction, but I think nonfiction is going to continue. It's up. I don't know the actual numbers recently, but last year, some categories were up like 200, 300%. Oh, wow. I mean, it's so obvious. I had no idea though. Wow. I mean, homeschool, homeschooling, if you were an expert in the homeschooling space and you had a book out on that, your book, I think one of the categories that was homeschooling specific was like 2,600 and some percent increase, which makes complete sense because suddenly all of these parents who never had to teach their kids anything now are suddenly teaching all their kids, uh, all of the, all of the things. So it made sense, but, um, but book, the books, 
have continued to sell really well. And nonfiction, I think, is going to continue to be there because whenever people have a problem, books are one of those places where they go to find who can help me solve this problem or what solutions are even out there. Uh, it's very, very common. And so, I mean, the next couple of years, we're going to have a lot of problems to, uh, to solve and there's going to be a lot of need. You know, mental health issues too is going to be, you know, continue to be incredibly big. Financial issues. So there's going to be a need for even more experts. And the cool part that a lot of people don't think about and we saw this going through 2008, um, even 2000 and 2001, 2000, you know, that whole thing too, is that turmoil like this creates the opportunity for new voices, right? Up to this point, people don't tend to pay as much attention to a new voice speaking, but right now they're looking for that new voice because it's a new problem. They have a new problem they have to solve. And it's a real opportunity. If you look back at 2008, a lot of the people that we know as experts today completely pivoted and evolved in 2008 and 2009, 2010 were their foundation years to now be like the go-to experts that everybody knows. So that I think is really happening right now. And that makes it a really great time to write and publish a book for whatever you do. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, you're, you're making me think of so many crazy things. I had no idea that it was going through the roof like that. And what about a physical book to Kindle? Are most people getting you know, the, the virtual kind of, kind of book or physical book still something? You'd think that it would have switched to the ebook, but it's, I mean, most of our clients, all of our books are nonfiction. Most are self-help, how-to business memoir type. Most of our clients sell 70% in a physical book. Physical they do. Book. Yeah. Cause I still and get physical. Like I still, too. I like the physical, I like the touch. I like to know where I am in the book. Yeah. Folding I mean, the pages. Just, yeah. These are my to read. I just, yeah. yeah. I don't know what it is. And I do have some on Kindle, but I don't know what it is. I, I just kind of, I, I can't process the information as well. I don't know if I'm just, I've trained myself with a physical book. I don't know what's going on, but I do read some and I, I find that I can read fiction easier on, on electronic stuff, like on a Kindle, Me too. but the, no, yeah, nonfiction stuff. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, the, I never really thought about that experts coming of age at different important moments in history. Um, you made me just think of something that, you know, my son is into buying and selling these sports cards and the market's just cool. blowing up. And I just thought, I'm like listening to you. Oh my gosh, everybody's on YouTube who's an expert, but no one's really, that I know of anyway, at his age has written a book. Can you imagine writing a book oh, yeah. at his age on it? on that subject. The media so, would eat that up. Yeah, they would just love that. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah, there's so much opportunity to use that kind of thing. Um, and then, okay, but as far, and as far as publishing it, is it still, is the primary way that you are helping people, do they write their book or do you offer ghostwriter help to the book? Cause that's the number one question I get asked. Like, well, Tom, do I sit yep. down and write the book or does someone write it for me? And I always give it, I think an inaccurate answer. I'm like, oh yeah, you could just get some help. You just talk to somebody and then they like put it all together in a book format for you. So how off am I? How off well, am I with that? <laughs> I mean, if you take it from a really high level perspective, that's accurate. <laughs> We start, we start everybody, whether they're going to work with one of our writers or they're going to work with one of our coaches, we start everybody off with a story expert. And the story expert's job is to figure out what makes you unique. What are, what outcome are you offering the reader? Like what is the hook of your book so that we've got a marketing angle? I mean, one of the things that we do that's different and, and what I saw with More Than Cashflow is most self-published authors write a book and then figure out how to market it. And what happens when you're doing a traditional deal is the traditional publisher is giving you a deal based on the fact that the book is going to sell and then you write the book. And so 
there's a gap, right? <laughs> the, the gap is that when you go with the traditional deal, they already know how your book is going to be sold and who it's going to be sold to before you write it. So what we do is we think about marketing before you write your book. And so the story experts figuring out, okay, who, how are we positioning you as the author in the market and what makes you unique and what outcome are you offering to that very specific audience of readers? And that's where we start. And then the book is built. Once we have the hook, you figure out what content goes into the book. Um, and a lot of people don't know. They're like, I've got all these stories. What goes in my book? That just tells me you don't have a clear hook and a clear audience because as soon as you know the outcome you want for your reader it's obvious what material needs to go in there in order to achieve that outcome so we start there and then if you want help writing the book we pair you with a writer um, we don't call it ghostwriting because traditional ghostwriting the the writer actually does research and fills in material and gets some content from you of course um, so we call it a writing assist and some of our clients have material and they'll give it to the writer and then the writer does interview them and they talk and the material comes out of them um, but in other cases the, the the author actually kind of writes with the writer so they kind of fill in stuff and they edit back and forth and they're like a writing team so everybody has a preferred or better way to do it. Um, we can, the writers kind of work with that, but the, the important part's the structure. And that's really why we start, start them with that story expert, because the book writes itself when you've got the right structure and the right hook and outline to go off of. Um, then we also pair you with a writing coach if you want to write it yourself. And the writing coach serves almost as much as a coach on your writing as they do for emotional support, because everybody goes through this, like, my book is amazing. Everybody's going to buy it all the way down to my book sucks. I should stop. Nobody's going to read this. <laughs> Okay, got it. And so, and then with your level of expertise, because I think you're hitting on something that so many people do, like they write the book and they think that's the end of the story. And I'm like, no, that's just the beginning. Now you have to like really market the book if you want to get it out there. So it's important the book has a hook like you're describing. Do you advise people or help people on like the marketing side of the book, like maybe having a web page set up so that someone can, if they want to offer a chapter of the book for free, that whole part of it. Cause to me, that's such an important part of getting the book out there. I don't know if you offer those kinds of services or do you yeah. advise people on that? Yeah. Yeah. So I built out an entire marketing team. So we actually just, just this week, uh, we had a new person start head of author partnerships. Her job is to find corporations and associations that want people to speak, or they want to buy one of our clients sold 860 books to a corporation in December for Christmas gifts to give to all awesome. their employees. So that person goes out and finds those bulk partnership opportunities to get the book into like large group hands. But then the rest of our team, our marketing team is pitching for podcasts and media, live appearances, books, store distribution, all of those kind of things. So yeah, because we, that was, that's one of the reasons I started book launchers was because that gap was there. And I met a lot of authors who wrote books that wouldn't sell because they didn't think about marketing before they wrote it. And then I also know that a lot of people put it on Amazon and then wonder why it's not selling. But the hard work as you and I know is actually the marketing of it. So if you set it up for better success at the beginning, like you get that juicy hook of, you know, what are you talking about that nobody else is talking about, even if it's little, a little different than the marketing is set up for a lot more success, but because we're doing the marketing and we know what companies are paying for and we know what people want, we're much better off because now we can guide people in the beginning to position their book better to actually sell and, and, and really achieve their outcomes. Cause it's not always about book sales for some of our clients. It's really about getting it out there so they can be on the media so they can get on the stages they want to be on. And the book is the tool that gets them there. Yeah, I think that's what the book has become for us as, as our business. It's been a way to get people interested in us. Like the book in and of itself wasn't the outcome. The book was like, hey, here's where we can share some hopefully good information. And if you like the information, maybe we'll do business one day. 
Like that was like yeah. the whole thing. Like, here's some information. It's, you know, it's what we've learned. If you think this is valuable, maybe you'll call us and we'll do business. Like that was it. And uh, I think most people miss that, that could, that if you choose, that could be the primary purpose of the book as a lead generation magnet into some other business. Or like you're saying, have a book so that you qualify to get on a stage because everybody on that stage needs to be an author and that kind of thing. So there's all these different reasons for, for a book. And it, it's, it's interesting listening to you. It's almost like publishing was the centralization of you know book control. And now what you're facilitating is like, the democratization of book publishing. It's like, yeah, you can do it yourself. So you, you are assisting people, but everybody's kind of out there and it's almost like a level playing field right now. Because before you really did need the publisher to choose your appoint you as the expert and say, yes, Julie, you are going to be the expert on real estate for couples or whatever it right? is. And you have to accept <laughs> that whether you want it or not. You're like, I don't want to be the expert in real estate for couples. And uh, I've and never you, told anybody that. So you get yeah, the exclusive. Yeah, on yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Like, I don't, what are you talk, talking about? Have you met Dave? <laughs> right. Have you, no have you seen way. us work together? Yeah. Have you seen us? I yell at him. He knows I'm right, but he won't admit it. It's so frustrating. Um, maybe we'll get chosen to be real estate for brothers, me and Nick. And I, and I can say that. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, but it really is like there's this opportunity now because the barriers are just way down. And I, I, the interesting thing I think is that a lot of people dismiss books as like, oh, that's something that's still around because uh, there's this, maybe it's a generational thing, but they think that, you know, it's a, you're on Twitter or on YouTube, but a complete marketing strategy in my eyes is where you circle the wagon. So you want to be on YouTube. You want to be on whatever social platforms are important to you, but you also want to be offline with a book. You also want to be in person speaking. So you want to kind of circle the wagons around your audience and a book is just an important mechanism for that. So what you're offering people, I really think is, is a cool thing. What are, why have you chosen to focus on nonfiction stuff? That just where you resonate better or is that where people needed the most help or that's where the opportunity was in the, in the, in the, in the industry? Yeah, I mean, there's three real reasons. One is that's really my expertise. And for many, many, many years, I didn't read any fiction either. Like I just consumed mass amounts. So it was my expertise, my experience, but also the business model. Uh, you know, <laughs> fiction is a tough, tough business. Um, it's hard to generate money from fiction. Nonfiction really, you know, book sales, it's really monetized marketing for many people. And so it's great because it's marketing for your business, your brand, your, your identity, and people pay you to read that, that marketing. Um, I'm not saying write a fluffy marketing book, but it is monetized marketing in many ways um, versus fiction. So it leads into other things that are gonna pay you way more than you'll ever make from book sales. Fiction, the business model is tougher and it really for forces you to go, okay, can I make, you know, can I make a, uh, you know, offshoot like toys from this book? Can I make some other sort of, um, can I try and get TV deals or movie deals? Or like, what are you doing to further build the brand and monetize besides writing more books? Fiction is harder. Um, the other piece of this is every genre needs experts, even within nonfiction. I need to have people who are familiar with memoirs. And then when they edit, we had a World War II memoir recently. I need somebody who knows how they talked in London during World War II or post-World War II because the words they use and the phrases they use aren't necessarily grammatically correct today, but that's how they talked. So you gotta have genre-specific experts. Um, same with fiction. I mean, YA is different than sci-fi that's different. So 
like you're going to need teams of thousands of experts to be able to Got do it. both. So that, I mean, there's lots of reasons, but that's ultimately, uh, I, I mean, I love nonfiction, so that's where my heart is, but there's tremendous demand in the fiction space. It's just not where we'll go in, in anytime soon. And then what, how long does it take for someone to write a book? Like if they're going to come to you, um, what is it? Is it like a, a six month process, nine month process, a year? If someone has some expertise and they, they kind of know what they want to write about and then they engage with you, how long does it take to get a book out? Yeah, I mean, it's different for everybody. Um, nine to 15 months is kind of our range to get to a book launch. Um, we're producing books that are as good or better than traditionally published books. So one of the things that we really focus on is making sure that when somebody picks up your book, they never go, oh, you self-published. Like it doesn't, it's just not something that ever enters the mind because the book is so good and it's such a high quality. And that that alone takes three months of editing. <laughs> So there's no, people come to me and they're like, can we do this in three months? I'm like, even if you come to me with a finished manuscript, we're not going to get it done in three months because we won't cut corners. But nine to 15 months is what it takes most people. If you work with one of our writers, you're going to be closer to the nine month mark. If you're writing itself, writing it yourself, um, if you're not experienced writing, then you're probably going to be closer to the 15 month mark. And then what are the things that most people miss? Like when I, when I think of a book, I always think you, you, you better make an offer in that book to get to your website or to get on your mailing list, email list, whatever group that you have. So I'm always wondering why people don't have that embedded in their book. I'm like, oh my gosh, that needs to be embedded like in six places mm -hmm. throughout your book strategically. So to me, that's what comes to mind. But from your experience, what do most people miss when they're putting together a book? Other than the hook, is there, is there something? Is it the marketing plan? Like what's missed? Yeah, I mean, what you just said is so key. I mean, I hope everybody paid really close attention to that because that's one thing that we're always talking to people about is as you're writing your book, like what's what's the offer going to be that's going to be inside of your book so they connect with you? Because you don't get, you don't know whoever buys your book. So that's the only way you're ever going to get connecting. So that's really important. One of the things that people don't spend time on that they should is the table of contents. Um, the table of contents is like each little chapter title is a little salesperson for your book. Um, and what happens, especially in the real estate space, people open up the book and they're going to see how to calculate cash flow, how to choose an area, right? Boring. If you've read one real estate book, you've already got that information. So make, make every chapter title, create curiosity or sell a benefit so that somebody feels like I have to read this book. It also will lead to media and speaking engagements. So one of the things that happened with uh, my second book, The New Brand You, is I had a chapter title called You Are Who Google Says You Are. That ended up being a talk that I got paid to speak and got people bought books to have me come in and do that talk. Yeah, that's such a good line. That is such a good line. Yeah. And yeah. It, it's just based on the chapter title. Before I even really knew what I was doing, you know, that that generated it. And same with media. You know, I'll, I'll, this happens to our clients all the time is they'll go, they'll do a media interview and the media opens it up to the chapter and they go, oh, tell me about the chapter on <laughs> because they have an interesting chapter title. It becomes the basis for that interview. And probably the producer looked at the, the book in the first place and saw the chapter titles and said, okay, yeah, we can talk to this person. So it's really an important and overlooked piece. People will spend a lot of time on their title and their subtitle, um, but they don't spend it on the chapter title. But the other thing is title and, and subtitle. A lot of people spend time on it, but they spend time on it and fall in love with the wrong title. They fall in love with a title that doesn't speak to who this book is for. And usually it's more the subtitle, but it doesn't tell them who the book is for. It doesn't have keywords in it. I mean, you, your book is going to be found online nowadays. It's So you need to be setting it up, not just to sell to a reader, but to sell to Amazon and Google. Um, so you really want to be thinking through those keywords and really making sure that your title is going to sell to that reader and get, get discovered. Yeah, that's interesting because, and then if you hit something really interesting in your table of contents that people resonate with, that almost springboards you to another 
book. Yeah. Because like your book, like what you just said, you are who Google says you are. I feel like that could be a, the title of your next book, right? Because you know, it resonates with people and that mm -hmm. could be a book into, uh, you know, unto itself. So uh, yep. you kind of get clues because it's something just from a marketing uh, point of view, something that we always think about is that you want to enter the conversation going on in the mind of your customer. Exactly. And that's, that's a Dan Kennedy principle that, you know, that we've kind of mm -hmm. learned over the years. And um, when someone comes out and tells you this chapter is amazing based on the title, that is potentially your customer telling you and screaming yeah. saying, this is amazing. So to me, from the marketer in me, then that, that title becomes like the headline of your landing page for the book almost. And the title of the book can almost be secondary. Just call out that part. So that's really interesting, yeah. kind of really interesting stuff. It became just as a side note, I mean, I ended up leaving kind of the real estate and branding and all that stuff and focusing on book launchers after that, but I did run some Facebook ads using that. And those Facebook ads were the only ads I've ever done that I didn't think I was donating to Facebook. So that you're right, like that your, your, your marketing mind is working really well, because that is exactly what I did. And, you know, going down that road further, I probably would have quite a strong brand around that if I hadn't have pivoted and gone to uh, publishing, which my new type, my next book is coming out and it's self-publish and succeed. So I didn't go Google. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but I think you're hitting a sweet spot right there. I just love what you said about times of adversity requiring new experts to emerge. You know, so like that is just to me a huge point that I don't think people realize that there's times like this where if you have something to say, it might be the perfect time to say it. And uh, that's, that's interesting. Um, Okay. I was going to ask you just something on, on, on working virtually. Are you, is there certain apps that you really like? We use Asana in-house mm -hmm. as like a property management kind of tool, just to like assigning different tasks to different groups and stuff like that. Anything come to mind for you? I'm just curious because you have been working virtually. Anything that you're using right now that is really indispensable? Yeah. I mean, a lot of what we do is we have daily meetings on Zoom. So Zoom has really been as annoying as Zoom can be sometimes. It's been like a lifeblood. Um, we use Slack for kind of daily communication with the team. So Slack is like a chat. Okay. And you board. like it. You Yeah. And you guys are using Slack well. It's good. It serves your need. Okay. Yeah, we set up different channels and then also where we brainstorm book titles for our clients and then we, you know, celebrate client wins and different things like that. So it works well. It can be a distraction. So I'm often encouraging people to turn it off sometimes during the day so they can focus, but that works really well. Um, we have everything set up on Process Street and I think virtual or not, we would still be using Process Street. Um, it's a software that allows you to create checklists for all the subtasks. I mean, there's like 300 and some steps that are in the book publishing Oh, I don't process. think I've heard of that one, Process Suite. Yeah, process street. Yeah. Oh, street, process street. Street. Oh, yeah. got it. Oh, and, wow. Okay. And so it's, it's really, our entire process is mapped out so that if somebody doesn't show up for work tomorrow, somebody else can step and in and up. do and do exactly what they were doing. And so there's checklists. And then we use the checklist to send off to our contractors too, so that everybody kind of follows the same model and, you know, checks off all the things that we need for whether they're an editor or a writer or someone else on the team. So it's it, whether I was virtual or not, that would be the lifeblood, I think, of, of the business. Oh, great one. Yeah, yeah. We're big on checklists for sure, but we're using them a little bit more manually than it sounds like that is. Um, what about book launcher? So what are the services that are most popular? Like, you know, because I know you offer a bunch. Can you give us an outline? Like, what, what do people come to you and enjoy the most? 
Yeah, I mean, we're simple, actually. We're we're a membership-based service. So as long as you're a member, we keep working on your book, which allows us to work with you for as long as you want to stay with us on marketing. So we have some people who their book came out um, in 2018 and we're still marketing their book. So that's pretty awesome. <laughs> you know, the team's found a way to get them wins. Uh, and so we have two levels of membership and that's it. Um, so uh, our, our base level is platinum and that you work with a writing coach and we do fundamental. It includes everything you need to get your book done and marketing. Um, and then Platinum Plus is for people who want to work with a writer. They want us to develop your author website versus in the other level, our Platinum level will audit your social, your online assets and provide instructions as to what to do. In Platinum Plus, we do it for you. So we build out your author website and your email marketing and, you know, kind of those pieces. And then we do a lot more on the marketing. We, we do some paid ads, paid reviews. Uh, we do a lot more pitching. Every month we do a set number of pitches. So, um, but that's it. It's, it, you can choose your choose your level that you need and then we do everything for you along the way and it really rewards people who are on top of things and make good decisions uh, and then people who change their mind a lot it's going to cost you more because it's going to take you longer <laughs> yeah 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 which would probably be me changing my mind all the time on this kind of stuff but uh yeah no super cool julie i, I i'm just i'm pumped for you it's so interesting because you have such this like diverse story that's that's occurring you know it's going to be interesting to see over the next few years what happens um and then right now are you guys settled in canada for a little bit will you go back to the states will you stay here will you come back to toronto what what, what are you thinking i know you're not coming back to toronto i know you're not coming back to toronto we're not by the way we were talking toronto. before we were recording that home prices and they just released the year over year stats and home price single family homes in oakville are up like 40 percent year over year hamilton 33 percent year over year i remember when you and i were both writing real estate stuff like 10 years ago can you imagine sharing these numbers like can you imagine saying i bet in the year 2020 or 2021 single because when we were talking about real estate prices were already crazy like prices yeah. were already crazy i bet they're going to go up 30 percent in one year you know no one would have ever said that. it's but, crazy uh, but what's it yeah are you going to settle it because you can now work wherever where do you do you have a home base or it's just wherever things take you I mean, right now we're in flux. It's really been awkward because we came to Canada thinking we'd be here for three months. Yeah. And, yes. <laughs> yeah. and, and then, I mean, we had, unfortunately, Dave's mom got cancer and passed away. Um, so that kind of extended it. And then the second wave hit <laughs> and we kind of, now we feel a little, a little stuck, but um, realistically, we kind of have to go back um, for tax reasons. We have to go back by June. So uh, we'll probably head back down there in June and all our stuff's in LA. Uh, my office sits there. Somebody goes in and waters my plants and picks up my mail no and ships my mail up yeah, to awesome. me. Awesome. But my office is sitting there on, you know, nobody's nobody's there but my plants and my books. But and then all our stuff sitting in storage down in LA. So um so yeah. I think California's reopen. I think California's reopening. No? Aren't they're, they gyms in the West are starting to? They're starting to again. Um so yeah, I mean, I think it'll be better. And I think we'll stay here. J Jackson, our son, is in a really, really phenomenal school here. So we'll oh, awesome. stay for as long as we can, I think. And then and um, we'll head back and settle back in. And, and unlike, unlike out east, LA house prices are going down. So we're kind of excited. <laughs> yeah. Oh, are they? Yeah. You might be a good opportunity. Yeah. I have a few friends moving out of San Francisco right now um, to Arizona, Texas, just, you know, they're leaving the San Francisco area, but wow, that mm -hmm. might present an opportunity to get some property in California. Wow. Yeah. I mean, we've been looking, um, cause now we're finally in the position. Cause when you go to the States, you have no credit and your Canadian credit means nothing. So we've been building our credit and kind and of your Canadian ourselves. dollar means almost nothing too. It means nothing, <laughs> nothing. too. So we've had to build up the, the yeah. old green. <laughs> so 
cool. Yeah, so it should be good. I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what the, because some of the areas that we were looking at, the houses have been dropping. So um, maybe, maybe we'll be able to pick There's up a There's a cheap area in San Diego called La Jolla. I really think and recommend, I don't know, you know, if you, I think you should buy something there. You could have awesome book launcher parties. We right? would come, we would come just to support the book launching parties, you know? So uh, yeah, we check have, that area out. Check that area. I heard yeah. it's really cheap. I heard it's cheap and you can get good deals there. It's, it's stunning. I mean, we actually have a bedroom there. So one of our friends has a house that she literally bought a, a house with a bedroom that is Julie's bedroom. So oh, no we, way. Have, we, we already have a room in La Jolla, so I don't have to buy a cheap house there. Yeah, yeah. La Jolla <laughs> is one of my favorite spots in that, my favorite spots in Cali. That, that's crazy. It's beautiful. So, yeah. Beautiful. Julie, thanks so much. So they can find you on, everyone can find you on Twitter at thejuliebroad or at <laughs> booklaunchers.com, right? Any other URLs? Is booklaunchers.com the primary one? You know, booklaunchers.tv, if you want, everything else kind of gets managed by my team, but booklaunchers.tv is our YouTube channel. That's my baby. So I'm the one that comments, all the videos are me. So if you want to connect with me and, you know, chat with me, that's the best place to actually get me. Um, Otherwise, you'll have to go through the team to get to me. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Julie, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. This was so fun. Thank you. Hey everyone, hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Julie. You can you can connect with Julie and learn more about everything she's doing on Twitter at thejuliebroad or at booklaunchers.com. Or if you want to catch her videos, you can go to booklaunchers.tv. All of these will be linked in the show notes of this episode. And if you are listening to this and you want a free digital copy of one of our books, you can go to rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. The most popular one is Income for Life for Canadians. That's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. And you can get a free digital copy of Income for Life for Canadians right there. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms.